Hello everybody and welcome to Ace Comicals episode 122, the episode that nigh on didn't happen because my computer decided to have a a meltdown. <laughs> um, and uh, long story short, I'm going to have to replace some parts or build a new one altogether. I haven't quite decided what I'm doing yet, but here I am using a borrowed laptop from uh, my good lady Sophie. So, yes, we are still chugging along and recording episodes of Ace Comicals. I don't stop for anything or anyone. Right then, so, um, quite a lot has happened and been released in, like since we last did an episode of Ace Comicals, because the last thing we did was the Eternal stuff and we did the crossover with Story X Story, so you can check out their feeds and you can catch the... Uh, if you go to the uh, the Mayamada uh, website and... Uh, their socials story X story is there and you can check out our little eternals conversation which was great fun actually um it was it was good um getting different perspectives and things like that on the film and and getting to uh getting to talk to like-minded people because i think a lot of people feel the same way we did about it don't they yeah yeah and uh yeah it was a very um spirited chat I think that despite the fact that we were like-minded as like comic book fans, um, we did have our own very specific uh, like advantage points into this. And I thought that made it a really interesting conversation where um, I think listening to that, you'll get maybe a more wholesome or, or like uh, full conversation than what you're probably seeing online. Mm with uh like rotten tomato scores and yeah. twitter dunks and stuff i think if you want an honest conversation about like the actual movie and how it relates to things like the comic uh definitely check out that episode and definitely check out our previous episode where we had nigel and tazzy on our cast talking about uh, where it all began yeah with kirby uh, uh give that a listen if you've not if you're a first time listener if you missed it give that a go because I, I i believe that the two parts of a whole that both of those podcasts very yeah. good conversations they, um, and we we get into the the nitty-gritty but without getting lost in the weeds i think yeah definitely and um my experiment worked because i think people did get whiplash going straight from the curb <laughs> stuff to the movie which is exactly what i wanted to do um and i think i've proven a point about comic adaptation somewhere and the fact that things don't it's like the, these, you know, these people that demand that things are exactly as they are on the page mm. and things remain the same forever. These people that can't stand their their uh, beloved favorite stories diversifying and and trying to be more representative and trying to appeal to a wider audience and trying to be more inclusive of what the world actually fucking looks like. But there we go. Um, <laughs> so. I went and checked out Ghostbusters Afterlife because that opened like a week or was it two weeks ago? Yeah, I think it was last Friday. So you're just over a week. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I went and checked that out last Wednesday. And uh, do you know what? That is how you make a Ghostbusters film. Like, honestly. Like, I was, I was, I got chills, Leon. Like, I mean, it might just be that because everyone talks, everyone's been talking about how this film just kind of like hammers home the nostalgia factor and everything else and how it uses nostalgia to its its uh, its advantage because of what it is and what it does and how it does it. But 
without because I'm not going to get into the weeds with the film and get into spoilers or anything. I'm just going to give you my impressions without that. It, it does it nails the the humor and the tone of what I consider a Ghostbusters movie to be, or what I consider a Ghostbusters story to be because it's not just the films. It's we've got the first two Ghostbusters movies, but you've like. Ghostbusters in media beyond that, you've got um, the real Ghostbusters, you've got extreme Ghostbusters, you've got the 2016 Ghostbusters movie, you've got the comics that came after that, the IDW Ghostbusters books. And what I found to be that I didn't like about the 2016 Ghostbusters movie was that it, it just seemed a little bit off the mark as far as the tone of what I consider a Ghostbusters movie to be was, what what the tone should be, how the humour should be. And how, you know, like it, it just, it didn't, it was, it was the wrong kind of It felt more like atmosphere how you course. would, how you would do like a 2020, uh, I guess 20 teens SNL movie. Yeah. Which it kind of is. And it is, it is that. That's exactly that's what it is. How it feels. And like, like to diverge from any sort of discussion on, about like the weird yeah. hateful people who were bringing it down for silly reasons on the merits of the movie itself one of the reasons yeah. it didn't work for me is because of that and also because like the new york they were in didn't feel lived in and i know that's partly because it was filmed in atlanta but like it, it doesn't like it, it, it like it didn't feel like ghostbusters and that that's not because um there were comedians uh holding the proton packs it, it's just it felt like a, a Paul Fig movie, and it was yeah. a Paul Fig movie, and and it just his his movies tend to heavily rely on improvisation and just picking the best take, and that does my head in because it means that like certain jokes just go on for way too long, and it happens in mm. all of his movies. So that's why for me it didn't work. But the, the like the humor and everything, they just this this film completely nails it, and and the great the great the the. The the thing about that is this film doesn't take place in New York. This new one, Ghostbusters Afterlife, it's not in New York. Um, and it, it it doesn't have to be in New York to carry the spirit. They just have to nail the tone and, and get the the right balance with the humour and everything else and the right kind of humour. And I think if you get that right, you can do a Ghostbusters story anywhere. Um, and it's a really good coming-of-age movie. It respects the originals. Uh it has a lot of the original score in it, which I think is where I got the chills from because when you're watching it and then the Columbia TriStar stuff happens on the screen and I, I turned into, I was sat with another Ghostbusters fan because my buddy took me to see it um, at the cinema and we were sat together watching it. I had my Ghostbusters baseball cap on because I'm a, I'm a nerd. Um, and like the, as soon as the, 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 the score kicked in, I was like, like an excited child, like tapping my feet on the floor, you know, like, yes, here we go. Like I got chills, man. And it made me feel good. It felt good. And it was well worth the weight of like everything that happened. Yeah. (laughs) And it was like a fitting tribute and celebration of the Ghostbusters and everything I loved and still love about those stories and characters. So go and see it. Like Jason Reitman has done his father proud. He really has. And uh, I just want to just leave you with the fact that Phoebe and Podcast, two of the characters in the films, completely kill it. And I want to be a kid again and hang out with those two, like, (laughs) in that world. Like, I want to be in that little town hanging out with those two because, 
Like, I think they would be awesome friends to have if you were a kid. But yeah. Um, yeah. By the time we, we've done the next episode, I will have seen yeah. it. So I will yeah. check in on my yeah. my thoughts. And yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an odd movie because it's... Um, I really like the director. Uh, I really like all the cast uh, who I, I've, I've enjoyed all of their previous work, all the mm. main people. Uh, but I think with the delays with COVID and stuff, it just sort of left my brain as as a thing. So now that it's here, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, Ghostbusters. So uh, I, I'm glad that you've enjoyed it. And I'm yeah. hoping that when I watch it, it is, it doesn't just feel like a nostalgia fest, which it's, there's a, um, a threat that it could be, but from what you're saying, it does sound uh, no, they, more they, like its own yeah. thing. It has the nostalgia, but it is its own thing still. And it's like almost coming of agey, passing of the torchy, a little bit of everything, all kind of like, lumped in together and i i may have i may have welled up at the end <laughs> i may have uh i may have thought about or, or even got close to having a little cry in fact i probably did i think i shed a, i think i shed a few tears at the end of the film because it, it, it feels like it was des- designed to get to get you get me specifically yeah yeah <laughs> it's like when they when they wrote the film they had a diagram of the anatomy of a ghostbusters fan and it's literally just a picture of me and then an extra <laughs> of me next to that um so yeah uh i th- did you, you watch this thing called was it was it like what's it called um sparrow sparrow optic no rob robin eyes that's what i want yeah, something <laughs> something like that, like like um, uh, peregrine pupils. Yeah, no, it's a TV show based off the Hunger Games. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Katniss Everdeen's dad, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I now think, she's a plucky New Yorker. Yeah, I think we're talking about Hawkeye, aren't we? Um, but yeah, so you, I've not checked that out yet. So that's dropped on Disney Plus, but you've watched like a couple episodes of it. Yeah, so it dropped on Wednesday Just Gone. They dropped two episodes, and I believe it's a six-part series. It'll be wrapped up in time for Christmas, uh, which works because it is based at Christmas, and it's New York at Christmas time. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's... I think it's designed as a show to be less about how this affects, like, existential things to do with the mcu as a whole and more to be a fun adventure on the streets of new york Mm. and it is kind of refreshing to get that because like one one division was uh wasn't apocalyptic but it was quite far-reaching and changed some of the 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 paradigms of 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 the uh the universe as did um Falcon and Winter Soldier on a, in a different way, and and then Loki in in a very very large way, and then very possibly what if in, in quite a large way. <laughs> so so like obviously I don't know what happens in the next four episodes, but for what this is doing, it does feel quite low key and uh, like Loki rather than Loki. Yeah, and um, yeah, it, I know like the setting's quite nice. Um, I'm a big fan of Haley Seinfeld and. Um, yeah, she is, her Kate Bishop is kind of what you'd expect, like pl- uh, plucky uh, early 20-something, 
kind of troubled but super smart and super uh, capable, and uh, ends up crossing paths with uh, your your Jeremy Renner, Hawkeye, your Clint Barton, and um, they hijinks ensue on the, the Christmas streets of New York. Uh, I I think it's it's so as it is so far, it's quite like it's easy watching. It's easy watching, which is quite nice. But one thing that's weird, like the I don't know if it's the tone or the pacing or something but it does feel a bit weird and not just because i mean you could say it's like oh it, this is like your um your first mcu cw show or something like that which sounds like damning with faint praise or like outright dissing it but just more in the sense that it's uh it's, it's a bit of a lighter family show than some of the previous uh, ones that have come before but um, yeah, it's a bit weird. Some of the like character motivations and stuff of like the secondary characters is a bit weird, and I don't know if it, if it's because it feels like I'm watching reshoots or something like that. But some some of it is a bit odd. But then when the the, the hawk eyes or your hawk's eye are t- together, like it's it's quite fun, and um, it is not it's meta in the sense that like. I mean, it is quite meta, and like people, the main characters in the show kind of understand what the deal is and how the universe is is, is dealt, and Hawkeye's place within the uh, Avengers, mm. and, and like how people in that world, but also in the wider like our world, uh, view that character. Like this, this it's it's very known. Like the the, the script knows what the deal is, and. Um, mm. I'm 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 curious to see it explore more of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm like intrigued to see where it goes. Uh, but yeah, it does feel a bit bit weird. I, I think overall people will, will enjoy uh, enjoy it for what it is. But like uh, yeah, it, it does feel weird. I'm hoping that the next episodes feel a bit more more solid. And uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's harmless fun at the moment. Yeah, I'm digging it. I need to I need to get on it and start watching it but like um I think we've decided that Christmas starts a bit early in this house so we've been working our way through like various Christmas films starting at the bottom of the barrel with like all the like really 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 rotten mince pies <laughs> and working our way up to things like Die Hard but at the moment we're sort of like um where are we at the moment um I think Sophie just watched uh, the holiday drop or something. A Christmas, oh, I can't can't remember. What. It's about an air force base. It's a it's a it's a, a Netflix one. It's in there. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I would have guessed it was a Netflix one if you yeah. didn't say just based off that title. It's a, it's about <laughs> an American air base and how they drop Christmas presents to um, islanders in the Pacific. Mm. They're in Guam. It's a base in Guam, and they want to shut the base down, but they can't shut the base down because of all the important work they do for the islanders with the uh, supply drops and Christmas stuff and whatever and everything else. Um, we're in Bizarro Land right now, Greg. Yeah, no, because, <laughs> because you're in the Christmas season right now. It's not even December as we're recording this, yeah. and you're fully in the Christmas season watching trashed here. <laughs> Christmas movies. Christmas and movies. Like, there's me over here who's still watching Halloween movies because I let them uh, I let them slide. So I'm going to be in December still watching, like, 
the late Halloween movies, yeah. and you're going to be watching Christmas trash. What's I'm, happened? Well, I'm the Christmas guy. You're the Halloween guy. I what know. Happened? I know. I don't know. I think. I think I've just had <laughs> enough of 2021 already. And like before, you know, before Omicron comes and eats our planet. Um, oh, which transformer is that? Omicron. It's uh, it's the well, Unicron's the planet transformer, isn't it? But <laughs> like, I think there's another one now called Omicron, which is like Unicron, but like bigger. And more dangerous before omicron comes i just want 2021 out of the way so but yeah i'm sitting here in a christmas jumper at the minute i've got um i've got my my tas christmas jumper on and it snowed today so you know feeling very seasonal also it's the first day of advent today so i guess it has officially begun so if you if you're doing advent you light your first candle today which is Sunday, because we're recording this on a Sunday, Sunday the 28th. Um, yeah, so I need to check out Hawkeye and uh, people should start paying their creators or compensating them fairly when they use their work. And I'll just leave that there. Oh, yes. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> Once you've uh, watched the episode, we can have a proper conversation yeah. about this. Yes. This is something that I didn't mention because it involves slight plot stuff. Yeah. Um but yeah, we'll talk about that uh when yeah. you've caught up. I've already thought I've already seen the noise. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the noise on the uh the 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 um war-torn hellscape that is Twitter. Um so yeah, I mean we're going to move on to the books now that we were going to review for you today. So one of the first one we have on our list is a book called Quiet Thoughts which is a collection of drawings and uh what I want to call meditations by a Karen Shangwan uh and published by Avery Hill. Um this is allegedly available now because it's November. Um if you go to the Avery Hill website you can order it. It is 12.99 um and uh it is, yeah, should be available right now. So go check that out. Um, it's poetic, mindful, wistful, dreamy, and in places it's almost like um, what I would consider to be like a meditation aid or like um, something you could read before sleep to help quiet your mind. Um, like a guided, calming exercise you could read before bed. Uh, mm. in specific places because it has that kind of quality about it um the art is like really expressive and full of feelings um it's like the art is feeling so it's just like pure feeling translated to whatever medium the artist is choosing to use at that particular time onto the page it's not um it doesn't appear to be contained in any way like if you think of the art in some stories and the way th- the way some some um like graphic narratives are where it can be feelings poured into a container that can then take a shape this is if that container was just thrown and spilled across the page um there is no um it's not reined in and it's not, it, it goes where it wants to go. And then the artist just follows it kind of thing. Um, and it's just has this, like everything, everything there, everything just flows across the page and it's fleet. It, 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 it's like, it feels 
fleeting and delicate, like each feeling from one to the next. And you're you're at once at one with everything and also like picking apart or or considering something very, um, like something that is very sort of... um, Almost like like the kind of thing like an idle mind would would pick up and and hold on to. So like a daydream, like an idle mind would pick up and hold on to some. You would start considering like I wonder it like it uh, giving sentience to things that don't have sentience, like wind, for example, mm. and picking that up and and then considering that in your mind and thinking what would happen if wind could think and would wind do this if wind could think and that kind of thing and it's just it's like the idle mind translated to the page and i i actually love it um if i just give you the blurb because it'll probably describe it better than i've done so um shangwan's warm and lyrical narratives capture fleeting moments and sensations while her shifting perspectives take in all of existence from the emptiness of space to the intimacy of human interactions, a contemplative journey that explores how it feels to be alive. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's pretty much a more succinct way of saying what I've just tried to say. Um, it is a uh, uh, soft cover, eighty-four pages, and full color. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, what do you what do you think of this, Leon? Because I I I've got a bit, a bit more to go into after this, but I just want to get your thoughts as well. Yeah, yeah, I echo a lot of what you're saying. It it definitely feels, as you say, meditative. I feel that it has a hazy, almost chimeric type feel, where it's it's a mixture of of like thoughts, like memories. Feels quite ethereal, and as you say, it doesn't the way like the pages are constructed in the paneling. It's all very informal mm. in in a way that doesn't rip you out but instead it it sort of pulls you through this uh these series of thoughts and the these um i guess these these mix of like moments and uh places in time like it, it's it's a weird one to talk about because it's the one where i would just suggest to people just to dive in and read it because whenever that adage of um letting something wash over you this is very much that and not because of any things of it being like confusing or anything like that, but more because I think what you bring to this will be part of the maths of what you take out of it at the end. If you're not in a mood for something atypical and you're looking for your normal sort of romp for a couple pages, then you you might bounce off this one but i would say i would recommend like if you do have that reaction to comics like this and like comics like this in general uh, i would always say give it another chance and, and and go back because um even if it ends up not being your cup of tea it presents you with a different way to to conceive like books of this of this sort to like how they how they differ from like the regular stuff that you'd you'd read which is more formally set up with dialogue boxes and thick lined panels and gutters and all that and i think give it giving these types of comics a chance will will not not just like broaden your horizons but i think it will provide something for you to chew on a bit more and with this book how it 
you have these like insert bits of art which work like panels, but there's so much texture in in in, in them and in throughout all of this where a lot of it often feels like pencil strokes or like uh, charcoal at times where you can see the the lines and patterning on the page and yeah all of it just you sort of melt from like one panel to the next while you get these poetic and mindful like words throughout which sort of kind of pull you along uh, and pull you deeper and just as one of these uh, these scenarios, these these thoughts start to um, these moments as they start to to grab you, then you're on to the next one. But then, oftentimes, you aren't sure where one's ended and another started. There's a lot of like unsaid, like beauty in here as well, and I really like how the mix of like exaggeration and perspective. There is like a magical realism in this which i quite quite enjoy um but i like like i was saying it, it does it's like what you bring to it will, will mean a lot and like some people might say stuff like that is a cop-out or that it's being um uh pretentious which uh i guess you could say i'm pretentious i don't know that, that's up to you to decide but i, I think the reason why i have why I feel this way when it comes to things like this is that a lot of my favorite things are not the typical. And I, 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 I do like to like figure meaning and get an idea of theme without having all the cards laid out for me, if you know what I mean. I do like yeah. to, to work with my art at times. And I think that when you're given like a, a book like this, which has such a, such a great look to it, such a stylized like feel to it, and that you're just like pulled in, and how like one story, one moment can be completely different from the last, but overall, like you say, it has this meditative mindfulness throughout. Yeah, I think it's pulling from like specific phenomenon and like um, feelings and scenarios, and like generalizing them in in a bit of a fantastical way which um, I think in ways helps you take a step back and look at life, but also consider it kind of has the a bit of the feeling you get when you like, you're sat there, not on your phone, but you're just people watching in public and you're, you're viewing many different people from all different walks of life, just barely intersecting and then going along their way. And everybody has their different idiosyncrasies and their different looks and all of that plays up in like sort of the the patchwork of society that we have and sometimes like just silly stuff like that can have you bring in other thoughts of your own to a thing i think it's part of the reason why people like to go to places like the beach and just to chill out and look at the sea and um or go to the park and like sit there with a book on your lap but you're just looking out on a sunny day i think that sometimes you can be too engaged with like plot to sometimes you don't really focus on like people or like emotions and uh i think that this book gives us a glimpse into the uh the the author's world but also Mm. i don't know fleeting thoughts that fleeting thoughts that um may have happened like five years ago that have stuck with them and 
it will connect with you where you'd be like, yeah, I, I, I kind of understand that, but my experience is different. So all, all of that ramble was just to be like, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. It was, it was very different and it sort of uh, got me to sit up and to, to engage and to get lost in, in, in the art, which from page to page, it just looks really good. And that's why I kept going, going back to the word texture. Like it feel even though I'm reading this digitally, it does uh, has quite a nice feel to it. Where I want to like run my fingers over the page. It's tactile. Yeah, it is, and it's it, the tactility of it is one of the things that I think feeds into the whole overall. Because what it is is it's, I mean, everything that you've just said, Leon, is basically almost what I'm trying to say when I say that it is graphic poetry and not an actual. So it's a graphic narrative, like it is, and it is a, it is, you know, sequential art and it's a comic, but it, it's, it's not, it, it's like the difference between reading prose and poetry. Hmm. So it's like the difference between picking up a novel and picking up an anthology of poems, which I consider this to be an anthology of poems, just graphic poems. I think it is. I think an, it even states it on the back. An anthology of graphic poetry, yeah. Does it actually state that on the back of the book? Uh, not in so many words, but it, 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 yeah. it does allude to them being yeah. um, uh, a, a compilation of stories. Yeah. Or poems, and, I should say. Yes. I mean, like, I, it is that kind of thing. And it's just... It's so calm and tranquil and even the lettering style and the whole book just ebbs and flows like like the tides. It really does. And like, I mean, things like Thoughts from a Star and, and Through the Mind of a Goldfish. I could read Thoughts from a Star every night before bed. <laughs> and that would be my the way that I would be a ritual to quiet my mind and, and get me to sleep because it is that kind of thing. It's the kind of thing that you could read uh, or the kind of thing that someone says to you when you're trying to enter into a meditative state. You know, like when they calm you down by being like, trying to get you into that. That's what it is. That's how it feels for me. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, these, these beautiful fleeting feelings captured in small short panels, snapshots of feelings expressed in this analog flowing way that I, I and I, I just love how the artist manages to capture these feelings and expressions from the perspective of the subject as well. Like yeah. really getting into that, you know, the idea of something like wind having thoughts and feelings or the idea of, you know, like, I mean, like through the eyes of a goldfish, for example, like the way that it's captured through the eyes of a got through the perspective of a goldfish and everything is as if you're looking through, you know, like everything's like at the, on the outside of a fishbowl or on the outside of a tank. Um, it has that quality about it where the water is kind of um, obscuring it or um, distorting the vision and, and what you can see. And it's just... Yeah, you get a little bit of those like uh, water caustics of like the way our light, light uh, reflect, yeah. refracts as it, as it hits the surface. It's like such whimsy and consideration. It breathes life into the inanimate. And... Well, like, actually, should I say not, not life into the animal, but sentience into the non-sentient in places. And it's just like further on, the book does actually start to explore very human thoughts and feelings. And again, it's fleeting and ethereal and it's captured in a similar rhythm. And it, it is just it's a mindful exploration of thought and feeling and 
ebb and flow, tranquility and silence. And it's all of those things. And it's all of those things, how you, how you can, all of those things considered and all of those things meditated upon. And I think, yeah, I, I think it would be excellent as a meditation tool. And I, I really like it. I really like this kind of like this, this quiet, gentle, poetic book. Um, and I, I think it is it is a, it is something that can quiet your mind and draw focus on stillness. And yeah, I I think it's beautiful. And yeah, it's out now. It's it's by Karen Shangwan. Um, it is called Quiet Thoughts, and uh, it is being published by Avery Hill. It is eighty four pages. It is twelve pounds ninety nine pence if you're from the UK. If you're in the US, it is sixteen dollars ninety five, and you can get it at the Avery Hill Publishing uh, Big Cartel site. Um, so yeah, go check that out. We will put a link in the show notes. Next on the list, we have something that is, uh, fairly savage, violent and brutal. So we're going straight from the quiet, the considered and the mindful to the, uh, the bloody, the savage and the brutal with a book called The Rush. Um, so The Rush actually stands for This Hungry Earth Reddens Under snow-clad hills um and uh it is published by vault comics um and uh it is set during the klondike gold rush which is canada's yukon which was in canada's yukon territory in the between the years of 1896 and 1899 um hundreds of resources if you want to learn more about that particular because the gold people think of the gold rush and they think of they think of like you know california and things like that but but actually there were various different gold rushes at different points in time in different parts of the world um and in different territories in on the the american continent and the canadian and in canada and places like that so um it's one of those things where you have one gold rush that people always picture in their mind but actually there's there's you can read up on it it's 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 a thing gold fever and human greed yeah um but yeah so i mean also uh this this particular gold rush the klondike gold rush was immortalized in charlie chaplin's the gold rush so if you want to go back and watch some very very old films you can go and watch charlie chaplin's the gold rush and it will teach you a little bit about the klondike gold rush So what this is, is dark, seething horror, and it's something other than gold below the ground. Um, It's hard, it's savage, it's unrelenting. Um, It is the realities of the cold and the filth and the grime and the squalor, all encapsulated in this this awesome horror book, basically. Um, It's like the the greed-soaked gold fever. like the greed-soaked gold fever and just the the wretched nature of man. (laughs) Perfectly captured. I think in this tale, um, with an added layer of ancient Lovecraftian evil, just to kind of like sweeten the deal. Um, because for me, it, it, it could have just been like a, a horror story of, you know, like, um, just, just basically just greed. But Mm. I, I, I feel like there's something else at work here other than just human greed and human nature. Cause it could just be human nature. Like I could have, I could have read this and enjoyed it, even if it was something akin to um, just a Western, basically, about the gold rush and just people just, just like killing each other left, right and centre to stake claim to certain parts of land that they believe has gold in. 
Um, and it's just might be yeah. because of the climate, but I, I did get a, 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 some uh, Rhoda Bones vibes. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. It has that kind of thing, but that's that's this is all stuff that I dig. So that's why I'm I'm on this and why I was on this from the get go because I anything that's and all this historical horror stuff, like I I love it. I love I love it when people combine historical accuracy and you know they add a layer of like other to it and it just it just works so well and i like these i just like these stories because i like i like history i like learning about stuff and i like you know i like to have fun with it um and historical horror is a great way to do that because it's like an entry point into a place and time and you enjoy the horror story and you're like maybe i want to know a little bit more about that and then you'll go off and read um so yeah i mean like uh leon what do you what do you make of this one? Yeah, this is this is an interesting one because the setup for it is quite um quite spooky. And like you said, it's the time period is fertile ground for, for something like this because um it, the Yukon area is cold as hell and um people are just like out in the cold wilderness trying to stake their claim and uh, set up camps and make as much money as they can and the the world is very br- brutal like almost lawless feeling depend like cuz you're just out there in, in, like in various towns and beyond in the middle of nowhere so the, you add on to that the spooky appearance of a faceless man in a, in a suit and bowler hat and uh devilish legs <laughs> Like, uh, you get that very early on, and it's just like, okay. Mm-hmm. At first, I thought maybe this is existential dread, but it's like, oh, no, there's something actually out there that is freaky. Um, and I was like, okay, what's, what's, uh, what's going on with this? And then, like, like I was saying to you, you, get this, it's almost like a cold open, because after you have that first initial, like, what the hell? Then it says you get this big uh, black page. It's like a part cold, one. a cold open. <laughs> yeah, the trail. <laughs> <laughs> a cold open in the Yukon of all places. Yes, but you don't see any breath. Yeah, it's cold. But, uh... <laughs> he don't breathe. <laughs> and um, then the story transitions, and it's about a uh, basically a mother on the hunt for her her estranged child. And um, that stuff is like, it's cool because it's it's presented to you almost like in in letters or in like diary form. And that gives us a bit more of context of the time and the history and different people's lots in in life and uh, how people who are around all this uh, Klondike Gold Rush stuff, how how they are just making their way and uh, different like, deadbeat dad types and and just outlaws and people just out there and it's like the the north not it's like the northwest but like i'm not talking about like seattle or whatever but like the north space west which is like the, the, you're getting on towards alaska basically yeah because yeah. in a way it kind of reminds me of like and it's 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 way later than the revenant i believe but it does have some, just give me some Revenant vibes in terms of like the, the setting and the location. Yeah. And it, that was also yeah. um, up there as well. It has and, that, that, that vibe. 
totally. Yeah, where it's sort of like it, it, it's it's savage, and, and in a way, it's like everyone is just out for themselves, really. And but there's like no limits really to sort of a mother's like love for her son and trying to trying to reconnect. And like I wasn't really sure where this sort of where this book was going. So like. It, it while I was intrigued by this stuff, I, it did I did find it a bit hard to to get into. But as we um, and obviously there's like a lot of uh, a lot of dialogue and a lot of um, period specific dialogue. And um, yeah, I, I did have a bit of a not not a block, but I was like, I was like, okay, uh, it wasn't I wasn't finding it as easy being pulled in, despite like loving what I was seeing. Um, but then, uh, as we as we get through, I get like dragged in more and more, and I think as it sort of converges stuff that we'd seen prior, and with the characters that we've been we spent the bulk of the uh, first issue with, then it sort of pulled me in a bit more and um, uh, gave me a bit of uh, like personality context, if you know what I mean. Like I started to to care more about individual character stakes rather than trying to take this whole uh, era or like world as, as its own thing and trying to work my way in uh, that way. And yeah, as, as uh, you follow these characters and um, as various events converge, it, it does leave off in quite a, um, I don't know, quite a, like there's, there's a feeling of threat and it's like existential threat, supernatural threat, and just plain old violent human threat, and um, yeah, all those things come together quite well. That we end on a very good, a good last page of a comic shot, which is like a good to be continued splash page. Where you're like, hell yeah! And it's not just like what's on the left side of the panel, uh, and looking over what's on the right side of the panel, which is cool, but it's also this like, uh, is it? Uh, is it Broken Hoof or Broken Hoof? The the town that they're trying to make their way to, like how that location is set on this like mountain slash hill, it's almost its own kingdom, and it's like it's a really cool look, and that as well as the other more eldritch stuff has um definitely gives it a hook. So yeah, I mean, it did pull me in, and I mean, I might just have been tired, and uh, I was waking up as the <laughs> As I was reading the book or something, but um, yeah, yeah, like in the end, it it, it, it definitely won me over and um, and put me in a place where I was um, mm. looking for more. And um, but yeah, like that that's just talking about it on like a story point of view. But like, um, like I think the art is really cool. I think the um, I really like the character designs. Um, I really like the facial expressions. There's a very like worn world weary look in like nearly everyone's face like this just feels like hard times <laughs> like it it's cold out there and the the cold is slapping you in the face and giving yeah. you lines and i do like that it doesn't feel like sanitized or like this is like man i'd love to go back and cosplay in those times no it looks rough <laughs> the thing is if you're going to do a story in that sort of time period you cannot sanitize it 
Not yeah, anymore. but the problem is, like, a lot of people, like, yeah. like do. So I, I do like how just rough and tumble this is. And it's, yeah. it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't try to be, like, quite moralizing and be like, those were the times. Instead, it's just quite, like, it's quite stark in how it yeah. is. And, um, yeah, I think that is, is, is quite effective. And they give an extra shout to how the sort of letter slash diary sections, like, I really love... The lettering there and the 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 text boxes, yeah, they, they ha- have quite a like a nice ripped page type feel to them, and yeah, all the art on those pages being which are the memories, uh, they're like in a in a sepia tone, which is different from the rest of the book, and I yeah, I quite like that as well. It's very effective. It it doesn't call attention to itself in a bad way. It, it just gets you, you know, what the comic's doing yeah. at that point, and um, I really like stuff that's economical mm. and strict to the point. The handwritten cursive lettering and the, the the sepia and the aged paper look of every of the boxes for the narration everything it's all really immersive, like you fall into these conjured memories. Yeah, um, definitely. And it works really well for the opening of the book. Um, I just want to just read the blurb very quickly. So, eighteen ninety nine Yukon Territory, a frozen frontier, bloodied and bruised by the last great gold rush. But in the lawless wastes to the north, something whispers in the hind brains of men. I love terminology like that. <laughs> Drawing them to a blighted valley where giant spider tracks mark the snow and impossible guns roar in the night. To Brokenhoof, where gold and blood are mined alike, now stumbling towards its haunted forest comes a woman gripped not by greed, but by the snarling rage of a mother in search of her child. So, yes. Um, there's another book, actually, this brings to mind that I read. Um, that's a uh, a vault another vault book uh black stars above um which is set in the frozen wastes again um but of canada i think it's still canada and it's a, a fur trapper this one so this mm. is like a fur trapper's family um and it is like nowheresville canada um like um and it it's uh it's another one that takes a similar route into the um, into the Eldritch Unknown, um, and if you like the Rush, you will love Black Stars Above. And Black Stars Above is complete. Um, you can get it as a trade, or you can buy the five issues individually. Uh, and I re- fully recommend picking that one up as well. But yeah, I mean, like this this historical horror book, this one, the Rush. It's um, yeah, it, it's just like the perfect confluence of the unknown of the frontier and then the unknown of some weird entity that seems to feed on the shameless greed of man. Um, getting like these, you know, like, um, just, just the, the, I think I find more horrifying the scenes in the town in the book and everything like these people just clamoring and stepping on each other, like to be the first and the, the whole, the whole idea of the gold rush itself and the whole idea of gold fever itself and how that affects people and how that makes people so selfish. And so, um, you know, stepping on each other, like, and, and, you know, willing to risk death by exposure and everything else just to, just to be the first. That's just black Friday, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like the artwork is gorgeous and it really does like, hammer home the brutality of existence in those times like you were saying it's not sanitized it's the horror of the unknown the strange forces and everything else it just all comes together in this beautiful beautiful stew um and like 
it, it really does like it is a perfectly crafted first issue because it really does perfectly set the scene it, it give, introduces you to the time period it gives you everything you need to know going forward for to enjoy the story which is great um the color work's amazing as well uh i have to say i just want to shout out to the glassy blue of the snow and the wonderfully brutal contrast of the bright red blood on the snow and how visceral the action and the violence feels in the artwork with the color on it as well like it just adds an extra i mean that's that's the point of that's the point of what coloring does that's i i'm basically just preaching to the choir here because anyone that likes comics already knows this stuff but i am feel the need to point it out specifically for this issue but yes yeah, so that is the rush that is published by vault and you can buy that now um and that is by um simon spurrier is the writer uh, Addison Duke is your colorist. Nathan Gooden is your artist, and uh, um, Hassan Otsuman Elhao is your letterer. Um, moving on, we are on to um, the second to last book that I picked for us to read. Which now this is in response to um, the Eternals movie. Um, so if I were you, I'd tune out now if you've not seen Eternals, because in, in introducing this book, I am going to be dropping some, something that will spoil the film for you. So don't, don't worry. So, uh, here's your turn. Here's your chance to tune out three, two, one. Yes. We're talking about Black Knight Curse of the Ebony Blade, which is a Marvel series, 2021 Marvel series. It just, it wrapped in the summer. Uh, um, so, it, so uh, spoilers from here forward. Uh, um, this is, it appears in the new Marvel movie um, and his identity is revealed. field when he tries um in the after credit scene of which there are two uh what this book actually does um this particular um trade about the black knight is it nicely explains how the sword and the black knight's powers work and it's kind of like a decent primer to for if you're interested um looking for a starting point or for somewhere to go to learn more about a character that you've just been introduced to by the MCU. This is probably a good place to go to learn a little bit about the Black Knight because this dips into the history of the character um, and the powers and where it all comes from. It's like an origin book almost that's not an origin book um, because it's it's um, it explains things, but at the same time, it, it's also a um it also it's it's also like carrying on from it's not um it's not a, a brand new reboot of the character it is this is the character and now we're going to go back and explain everything it's like it's it doesn't um it doesn't it doesn't start again from square one it's it's not a an origin story in that way it's an origin story in in you get the nitty gritty of how it works, uh, which I find quite useful. Um, and um, 
yeah, it's it's some deeper explanation of the nature of the character and an exploration of his relationship with the other characters in the Marvel Universe, chiefly the Avengers in this, uh, because he is an Avenger um, in the very beginning. Um, he's an, in, in the very, very beginning, he's a villain, and then he's an Avenger. And before that, um, I think the Black Knight was... Um, in like back in 1955, Marvel did these medieval stories. <laughs> so you had the Black Knight, um, Sir Percy of Scandia, which was in the sort of like the 1955 book. Percy of Scandia is in these books as well, and and uh, it's later revealed that Percy is part of the Black Knight's lineage, and the sword is passed down through the uh, the the sort of like the bloodline of the family, basically. Um, but yeah, this is like the first book is about Percy of Scandia and, you know, Camelot and everything else. And it's, it's like a medieval tale, medieval comics. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I do like this cool sorcery mythic Marvel stuff. I like all the Camelot-y, otherworldy jazz stuff that they do. Um, and this book kind of dips into that, which is kind of fun. And I'd like to, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of this in the movie universe if they do it well. Um, so yeah, the Black Knight, um, as we know him, first appeared in Avengers number 47 in 1967. Um, and uh, he did start as a villain. Um, and uh, Dane Whitman, it's Dane Whitman's uncle was the Black Knight, and uh, Dane Whitman is actually Black Knight 3. He's actually the third Black Knight. So the Black Knight in the movie is Dane Whitman. The Black Knight in the comic we're reading today is Dane Whitman. Dane Whitman is Black Knight 3. Um, and yeah, this this is just like a bit of an origin and a bit of a background for him. And it's, it's, um, it's very good Marvel fare, very good Marvel miniseries fare, and I, I do... I do enjoy it when Marvel gets mystical and I think you will as well. And if you want to know more about something you've just seen when you've watched uh, The Eternals, you're like, wait, what? What's a Black Knight? Well, this is the book that I would direct you to because it's modern enough to not give you whiplash. And at the same time, um, it actually explains a lot. So, yeah, I mean, what do you reckon, Liam, the bit of this that you read? Yeah, I think that... um... What you're saying is quite true, especially with um, how it starts. It, it reminds me a lot of the comic that we reviewed all the way back in episode two, which was the uh, Tanahasi Coates and Brian Stelfry's uh, Black Panther uh, run. Yeah, and um, with that, it doesn't do origin. Instead, it it includes all of the history of Black Panther to that moment, and just makes it like the past. And then it's like we're gonna factor all of that stuff into T'Challa and Wakanda and move forward rather than like uh, wipe the slate clean and have mm. an origin story. And I, I quite respect, respected that move because um, yeah, that stuff is history. And like some of it is, is written by many different people drawn by many different people. It's going to be messy in, in the, in the way that uh, long running superhero stuff is, but I do like how they, they decided, well, let's just, include the messy like actual history is messy so let's include that and uh, that was a decision i respected yeah and the and, black knight's uh, history is messy yeah <laughs> but like i think i respect that they do that here as well and like you said there's ways in how it's modernized where um 
Dane himself is using like a better help type app, but this one is like AI and uh, is it listener or something. Yeah. And, um, like he just, despite all these like super technology and like magic and stuff like that, he still has like regular dude problems and he's like trying to, trying to sort that out. I think it can be a bit of whiplash at the beginning if, like me, you have zero uh, connection to anything um, Black Knight or or the uh, Whitman esque. Because um, for me, this is a character that I I'd heard before, but like this is not an area of the Marvel world that I ever dabbled in. And in general, I'm not a big uh, like that area of like like Arthurian legend Marvel is funnily, not really funnily my bag. enough there's a lot of crossover between the other world stuff and Captain Britain and the Avalon stuff and the all that kind of stuff with the X-Men mm. so i mean like in certain X-Men runs certain parts if you if you read a lot of X-Men you're going to happen across this shit because <laughs> that's like the, it's the it's the british and it's the british arm of the marvel um universe basically yeah yeah and uh yes yeah, so I, I didn't really have that connection it's not usually my back so i was like okay so when the character was in the movie i was just like okay and then when i saw you had this run listed i was like okay <laughs> let me give it a go because you, you know me you yeah. listeners know me like i'm just not uh diving into like current run marvel dc anytime soon uh, no. i'll dabble uh for the cast and stuff um but mostly i, I like to read uh runs and, and events and stuff like that if yeah. i am dabbling into this caped area um, and this stuff is so like you're going deep here like <laughs> like this is like this is pure comic stuff but um yeah i uh my initial like apprehension was kind of tempered, not in a way that I was like, uh, I am Black Knight's biggest fan now, but I did think that for the issues that I've read, it's um, a really cool way to compose this character and like his relationship with the Avengers is, is quite cool. And it's done in a way where it isn't... Because another way I kind of hate with these things, and you see it a lot in the movie stuff, where it's like, we cannot possibly be earnest for two seconds about our origins. So we've <laughs> got to just mark... we just got to mock it. we got to mock it. Like, those costumes, you're not going to catch me in those colours or that spandex. And if it's some tech things, like, you're saying that's a blah, blah, blah. Like, that gets tiresome after work, which is like, come on, man. Like, you have mm. a talking raccoon and stuff like that. Like, yeah. talking tree. Like, just deal with it. Some stuff can just be wild... And people don't need to be quipping about how wild it is. I know that's for the audience who does view this stuff like that. But after a while, this is the same audience that has poured billions into these things. So I think we can yeah. we can back off that. And I think this comic quite good with that, where it's um, I mean because it is a comic, and but also it deals with how this character would interact with the world as it is now, and um, all the various things uh, that that come with that. And I really like these mm. um, like shadowy bad guys who their like power is to neg you <laughs> with like the the thing that really gets you, the thing that keeps yeah. you up at night that you hope other people don't uh, don't realize about you, and they just go 
whisper in there. Shh, shh, remember that time when you blah blah blah. Then there's like yeah. you just break down. Even if you're like uh, the God of Thunder or like Captain Marvel, you you, you just fall down to your knees. <laughs> what I love is that Dane Whitman has my superpower. In the fact that when they try it on him, he tortures himself that much anyway. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like so what, <laughs> you know. That that that's my secret cap. I yeah. always hate myself. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah, I really, I think that's uh, uh, quite a cool and and like novel thing in the in the setup for what I assume is is a is a different bit, uh, deeper big bad. And uh, mm. there's other stuff that I don't quite get because it's like part of the hero and I don't really know the story for it, which is stuff like the castle and where it's located and stuff. Yeah. Um, but like. The stuff around that and like the um, the sort of goat headed assistant and stuff like that, but it's I don't need them to pause the story and be like, well, this person is or editors no. Do, do. Instead, it's just like like the character who is themselves new to this world. That's us. They're our surrogate. So I kind of like that. How you just you yeah. just got to roll the punches because I mean you are in a world where you have like, this is a world that I. In some ways, I, I don't understand how people deal with it. And in other ways, I fully understand how people deal with it. Where all this craziness happens. Where aliens, gods, powers, and all this stuff. But at some point, you just got to be like, yeah, that's the world now. <laughs> like, i still got to go to work tomorrow. i still got to pay my taxes. So, like, I do like how even subtly that kind of deals with this. Where it's just like, I'm here for a reason. Yeah, there's weird, like, magic sword stuff going on. But, like... Uh, I'm here to talk about X, and um, yeah, it, it it seemed like they're like building up a, a little mystery to go with this, and I was like, okay, this is cool. And it's like, like I said, this isn't my my wheelhouse really, but I did think that um, it it's a good sort of primer for this character, yeah. and did make me a bit more interested in what they're going to do in the mcu with this yeah. character um but uh on its own merits i thought that cause, i mean this is a good looking book it's got like beautiful art it's a beautiful uh, book <laughs> like all the, there's so many different types yeah. of characters and none of them look the same even when it's doing um sort of like a, a montage of like these are different characters and like uh, how these Arthurian uh, legend tie up with like MCU uh, Arthurian legend history and stuff, and they go through all of that and all the characters look they don't just look like okay I need a generic strong man with blonde hair I need uh, like a tribal dude instead it, it, they all look like actual characters which is like if you told me each of the characters had their own runs and they look like this I'd believe it because there's yeah. like a lifting sense even with like Merlin. Uh, has like a great non-generic look um, to him, so like all all of that stuff is really appreciated, and it helps it for me. And that this isn't like an insult, but there definitely is a portion of people who are probably like in my age group, maybe who are sort of burnt out on like this superhero stuff, and um, but like to a, a degree further than me where they'll be like sort of dismissive and snarky or whatever and like not engaged at all and i do think that this book is fur further away from that stuff where if people have some sort of blocker for capes 
they could uh, get in with this book and not feel overwhelmed by like 80 years of Marvel history. Instead, you're just dealing with like uh, a dude with a sword who's trying to make his way and mm. not quite understanding yeah. uh, what he's doing and sort of has it's like given into a darker side of himself to be able to to wield this weapon and the toll that will take on on his soul and i think that is um uh i think that is a, a very compelling thing to read um mm. and especially with how this is um done where whether it's the action scenes which are like super kinetic and um ha- have like good sort of visual choreography from panel to panel or whether it's um the various different flashbacks we get to to things happening in the past i think that um you are pulled through and it's like a very sort of modern marvel uh story so yeah um again another book that sort of turned me around as i was reading it i what I really love about this book as well is that it, they really do show you that he is basically the anti-Thor. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of cool. And I think that that play between yeah. them, definitely in the first issue, is really well done in in the way that it gets to be a fun comic moment. Where it's like, oh, look at these superhuman titans yeah. bouncing off each other. But then on the flip side, it does sort of set up sort of a thematic notion within mm. the book and how how um just in, how the ebony blade and molnir are just nearly complete opposites in how they work with their um with their wielders and i, I do think that's a, a really like clean uh setup to to start start the book with yeah i mean it is like a it, it... It gives us a view of the man himself as well. Dane Whitman like introduces us to him. It's just a really good. It's just really good at providing context and a bit of background for the character, um, like the man himself and the depression, the isolation, and the toll these powers take on him, and how burnt out he is and everything, and how there's probably some of us in our thirties that feel exactly like him. Definitely. Um, and yeah, it's just it like all the guilt and the anger and the regret and the shame and everything else and like how that works to power the blade and everything. I think that's genius. Um, and I also think, I also like that it, 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 this plays to Marvel's strength, which is how they adapt existing things and existing myths and legends and bring them to life in their world. Um, and this is just like an example of that, of how, how that Marvel play to that with their, um, with things like this and, and things like the, uh, the Thor stories and your other gods and, and things like that in the Marvel universe. Um, which is, I mean, like, and I like that they're branching off into this stuff in the MCU as well, because we're getting all the kooky magic stuff now. Um, and I want them to adapt more of the kooky magic stuff. And like, like you were saying about how everyone's got to be, like how they, um, just dialing it back to what you were saying about how everyone is um, wearing the, um, like, the, you know, the costuming and everything else um mm. and and i feel that 
if you we've got to we've got to get over this at some point because if we don't it, it you, i mean we've seen the warning signs we've seen what happens when we do try and and sanitize the well not sanitize when we do try and gear things for the audience too much and we we do take away all the whimsy and the uh the, the bright colors and things like that you end up with people clad head to toe in black biker leathers <laughs> and <laughs> no one wants that no one wants x-men <laughs> I I I want to see people in yellow and blue, you know, <laughs> clashing colours, well, man. That's what superheroes are well, about. Well, this is the thing. Like, I do respect, even though like the budgets are quite low. Like, I do respect the CW DC shows, which, um, like, to an outside looking eye, with any cynicism, it looks like a bunch of people in like cosplay running around doing nonsense. And I guess it kind of is, but like. That's what the books it was adapted from are. So I kind of like how like pure it is to just wear the cheese on its sleeve. And yeah. I think that yeah. we don't need everything to be like that. I certainly don't. It's but, like um, I do think it, it it's fine to yeah. just embrace that you're from a medium yeah. that has a lot of silly stuff in it. Yeah, it's like they took the. Um... They took the colourful costumes and then they just like chucked like a black wash over them, mm. like to to sort of like mute them slightly. But yeah, I I see, I know what you mean, and um, I'd love. This is this was I mean like going back to Eternals again. This was one of my issues with Eternals was the fact that they just they dialed down the whimsy too much, but that's that's something you can listen to in the Story X Story cast or our previous Eternals cast about. About how you know they dial down the whimsy too much sometimes, and I think that's sometimes what actually spoils it. Um, but yeah, I mean that is uh, that is the, the Black Knight Curse of the Ebony Blades, um, and uh, yeah, you can pick that up now. It's a complete trade, and um, it's a good primer, like like we've been saying, it's a good primer for the characters. So this has got a, a long list of credits. So this is art by um, Sergio Davila, uh, written by Cy Spurrier again. Inks by Sean Parsons, Mark Deering, uh, colors by Arif Pritano, and uh, also uh, you've got a couple of other um, colorists on here that assisted with specific issues. You've got uh, Chris Sotomayor and uh, Andrew Crossley as well. So Chris Sotomayor was uh, issues three and four, and then Andrew Crossley did issue four. Uh, worked on there as a colorist. Um, Mark Deering was issue four for the inks. Um, lettering is by uh, VC's Corey Petit. So yeah, I would recommend checking that out. Of course, it's Marvel. I don't need to tell you who it is that published it. <laughs> um, and we are on to a, our final book for today, which um, is DLC for a story that's near and dear to my heart, and I think near and dear to Leon's heart as well. <laughs> uh, one of the best Batman stories ever published. Um, so this is the long Halloween, Halloween special 2021. So we've waited a long time for another bit of the long Halloween and it came to us in this long Halloween special in long 2021. Uh, <laughs> so way, way back in episode 88, we talked about the long Halloween and it was another one that we had the Mayamada guys on for and it was great fun. Uh, in case you're unfamiliar, the long Halloween is 13 issues. 
published between 96 and 97 and it is a follow-up to legends of the dark knight halloween specials uh and it is by jeff Loeb and tim sale so there was this this run of legends of the dark knight halloween specials and they decided to follow it up by doing like a proper 13 issue story and uh i'm glad they did because it is fantastic there is nothing quite like halloween in gotham and there is nothing quite like that trade so if you are unfamiliar with the long halloween i, I would fully suggest putting it on your reading list because it's great um this book itself the one that we're talking about today is a one shot that functions as a continuation or epilogue for the long halloween which i thought had quite a nice neat ending anyhow um but hey ho any chance to revisit the world and the characters um through the lens of jeff Loeb and tim sale um and it is a nice it is nice to return to the gotham uh of Loeb and sale and um it's the Gotham that I have fond memories of um, because I think in my formative teenage years, this is the Gotham that I was kind of like most. Um, this is this is the Gotham that I, I, I read the most uh, because I would pick up the uh, all the Loeb and Tim Sale stuff and I had them all on my bookshelf and that was this was my thing, you know. Um, and uh, the whole thing in this is, uh, if you remember the events of the Long Halloween, um, you'll know that someone stole Calendar Man's shtick. And Calendar Man wasn't best pleased about it because he was stuck in Arkham the whole time. Uh, <laughs> and now this is Calendar Man's vengeance. So this is a scorned Calendar Man uh, wanting revenge for the fact that his shtick has been... Uh, he wants to be remembered because he thinks people forgot about him because of the holiday killer. And because of holiday, people forgot about Calendar Man. And now Calendar Man's like, he wants to be remembered. He wants to be thought about. Um, so he's he's planning something. He wants to do something big and nasty on Halloween. Uh, so people are like, fuck holiday. What about Calendar Man, you know? Um, and he started his own creepy cult of bold people with day, with months of the year tattooed around their heads. Uh, <laughs> which I absolutely adore. So holiday or um, spoilers for The Long Halloween now. If you've not read The Long Halloween, you... This is where you tune out. But spoilers for the long Halloween. Uh, Holiday or Gilda Dent stole his shtick. And uh, he's predictably, the, the calendar man is predictably none too happy. Um, and I just, I just love revisiting the intricacies of this world and this and, and, and Loeb's Gotham and, and getting some, some of the, I mean, like the loose ends were very far in between anyway with this book, but getting some of that tied up was quite nice. And seeing Dent come back and, and having Solomon Grundy back and, and, everything kind of like through Tim Sale's shadowed and slightly warped lens um, and, and callbacks, you know, with like the black and white pages with the, the gun coming out with the rubber nipple on it and the, you know, the 22 caliber pistol and all of that stuff. Like it's just holiday callbacks to holidays, MO um, the black and white pages. The, it's just, and the church of calendar man and the calendar man cult. And it's all very much, you know, the noir stylings of it all and everything. I just love it. It's like a proper addition or addendum or um, annex to a, a really great noir detective Batman tale. And I think part of this comes from the fact that this uh, this particular story has been enjoying the spotlight because it's recently had an animated um, adaptation, hasn't it? Which I haven't checked out yet. No, no, I have not yet. I'm kind of frightened to check it out. 
because uh, I love the book so much and I want to keep, I, I, I know what I like and I like the book. So I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I will check it. I'll probably check out the animation, but I'm scared to check it out in case it sullies my memory of the book, but it shouldn't. That's just, you know, yeah. that's something I need to get over. But yeah, I, I think it will be fine. I, I watched the, um, the year one one, which I liked and I yeah. saw the uh, Dark Knight returns one which uh which is a two-part i believe i was quite so impressed like, with them hush yeah. was a bit meh i watched the hush one i never saw her yeah that one was a, that one was a little bit meh compared to the hush book anyway but yeah um i mean what did you make of this anyway because uh i know you're a you're a bat fan like me and you know you're halloween so and it's funny it is like watching a hd uh, version like if you told me this was made at the same time and then this has just been scanned and cleaned to look a bit like the colors popping a bit more and the lines a bit sharper i'd believe you because it, it looks very like it looks of the family it looks like a, a, a lost chapter of that saga um but like it has a bit of an extra sheen to it but it's got all the things that we that we like it's got the the heavy contrast the um the like the the very uh like funny look on all the villains faces and mm. that like tim sale mouth that uh, everyone seems to have yeah but like um yeah like it's it's pretty good but it, it's a weird one because part i was in two minds with this because i was like oh this is just dlc <laughs> what, I was, what I was thinking when I was first reading it, where it's like, like, because, like, sometimes I can be of a mind where it's like, I don't need the semi sequel thing. I don't need more. Like, if I've been, if I've enjoyed a story from beginning to end, I don't really need much more after that. Like I um I'm happy with, with what I've got. So I always get a bit scared when it's like an anniversary or something and like the creators are talking about stuff that wasn't in the book and I'm like, oh, just let the book speak for itself or when it's things are like, uh uh we've added like an extra uh, five pages in, in this anniversary edition. I'm like, Oh man, that wasn't there in the original thing, just let it be. So a thing like that where it's like a special, I'm like, oh, okay, this could either be pretty good or pretty bad because it's going to be dealing with kind of the the matter of like this being a well-loved book and, and other things like that but otherwise i think it works as intended where it, it is just um this this i don't know this this tying of the bow in, mm. in a way yeah. and um i don't think it really has any major impact on the book that comes before but it's just sort of a bonus for people who are who are fans of that story yeah. and yeah for that it, it it works well it doesn't feel cheap or like a, a money grab which it could very much feel like but it is like and it's the thing that i think that if you never read it you'd be perfectly fine as well but i think that it is a treat for people who want to spend a bit of a, a bit of extra time in in this world and um, get a bit of an eye on stuff that you might have wondered about 
in the uh, the original books, but like everything that was there in those previous ones is is here as well. Um, it's just uh, a bonus, a nice a nice bonus for people that weren't quite ready to leave. Um, it has two gorgeous covers of which I purchased both because I am a total mark for stuff like this. Like they know precisely who they're going to sell it to people like me. Uh, one of them is basically just a big fat two face mug on the (laughs) cover, um, which I'm a sucker for covers that have harvey dent on them anyway like because i i love the duality thing i i love harvey dent as a character i love the duality thing i love i love the two different sides i love the way different artists represent that and i love to see it so anything that is a cover that is just pure dent is always for me anyway um and then the other cover that i got was cover a which was batman um oh it's got the the classic hallmark uh jack-o'-lantern on both covers as well which is great um cover a is batman sort of like um through the rooftops of gotham um in a a dynamic kind of like leaping pose kind of like falling uh and then uh, the moon is made to look like a jack-o'-lantern which is kind of kind of sweet and yeah it's just it's just a beautiful beautiful return to that world and it's that it's that everything that made the original book great and like you said it's 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 been done in a more modern way so everything is a bit more kind of hd'd up flat etc but it's still a beautiful beautiful book and it's a it's a nice little kind of like victory lap i suppose for the long Mm. halloween and if you're a fan of the original book i fully recommend picking it up and uh i just think it's a cool thing to have anyway um and i think i'm glad that they did it and added this on to the end because they and and i'm I mean, it's a risk. It's always, like you said, it's always risky business going back and adding to something that is already so great. But then to do it and to nail it is is always something triumphant. And I I feel like they nailed it. I might it might be my nostalgia shades talking, but I feel like they nailed it. Um, and I'm I'm big on this one. So yeah, um, I think that's it, isn't it? That wraps us up for this episode. We can go play Pokemon now. <laughs> so yeah uh yeah i'm I'm uh, playing the new pokemon games diamond and pearl so um i've been wanting to I, i've got i've got like the the itch again now and the uh you know i'm doing the whole kind of like uh got any more of them pokeballs thing like crack addict complete crack addict for that stuff um do you um with your your run through the pokemon games yeah do you and uh sophie go head to head not really, no. It's more like because Sophie has her way of playing it, I have my way of playing it, um, and we don't ever really go head to head or battle much because, for starters, I've, guess... only, got, I've only got one switch. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and and I guess like yeah, you can um, actually how how does that work? How do you trade Pokemon? Um, with the switch. newer ones, we can't because I only got one switch. Like when I had the if on the 3ds or whatever, we can trade, mm. but with this one we can't because I've only got one Switch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's it's still fun, like um, because it's just it's just something like I I will play, Sophie can watch, or or the other way around, like I'll put it on, um, and we just swap the cartridge over, so both of us use it, use the same Switch, it's fine. 
Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not much for battling other people and things like that anyway, per se. Like, I just enjoy being in the game mm. and like having the Pokemon and training them up and stuff. And I've never really been one to engage in tournaments and stuff and that kind of thing. I just enjoy raising different kinds of Pokemon. Mm, that and, makes sense to me now. Yeah. But I always thought like young Greg was like a battler or something. Because you've always been a hardcore Pokemon guy to me. Yeah, I, I used to associate the two. I used to play and trade with people and I used to battle with um my friends, but I wasn't one for just going online and picking random fights or anything when that was a thing when you could. When they opened it up and you could you could go online and, and just fight random people. Mm. Um and I wasn't one for entering serious tournaments and things like that. Although at one point between a group of us, we did have a thing going where we were like EV training and stuff like that. Um, but that, that gets like a chore very fast. Yeah. Sweaty Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> That's that gets, that gets real old real fast. So I just enjoy being in the world and playing the game and just enjoying, you know, catching and training and, and raising different, different types of Pokemon and just, just experiencing it and just having that world away from the world kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. That's what it is for me. But yes, that has been Ace Comicals episode 122. You can catch us in all the usual places. Anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find us. We are like that phone number on the door of the toilets in the pub. Um, you can also find us at www.acecomicals.com, uh, which is the hub for everything that we do. Um and uh, we are most active on Twitter under Ace Comicals, where you can get involved in the conversation. Tell us what you liked or didn't like about anything we have discussed, if you have also read it. Um, and um, you can also find me on Twitter under Abato. And Leon, where can we find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. I almost said at Bato as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we share an account now. Um, yeah, I had to remember my own name. <laughs> But yeah, um, so you can, yeah, get in touch. Tell us what you think about what we're reading. If if you've read any of it, if you if you have any opinions to add to what we've already said. But yeah, that has been Ace Comicals. Ace Comicals, over and out. <laughs>